Hello and welcome to this Endo Life, episode 128. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, And if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's b-e-y-o-u-online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Okay, sorry this is a couple of days late. It should have come out late last week, but I had I ended up being quite unwell last week and I couldn't record because I had two severe histamine reactions which are still going on but as you guys know I've been dealing with histamine intolerance because of my SIBO and I've been treating SIBO for a couple of months now and I'm currently on my break between my third and fourth treatment and I've just done um, a test a couple of days ago so we'll see see how that's going but as you guys know one of my histamine symptoms was bladder pain of course, the bladder was also is also affected by my pelvic floor dysfunction and, and things like that that are being worked on. But since doing the SIBO treatment and also starting a new supplement regime for my IC, I have had less bladder pain and more tolerance to certain foods. So for the past couple of weeks, I have been adding in some other histamine foods again. And last week... I just think I tipped, I tipped the boat and went too far with some of them and had a couple that I, I mean, I've never eaten before. And I ended up having really what felt like an asthma attack. And I think I've mentioned to you guys in the past couple of months, I suspected I might have asthma, which I can't remember what the stat is. I can't remember the study. I had to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's associated with endometriosis. Like we have a higher risk of developing it. 
but I, I just don't want to go. I, I haven't visited a doctor's yet because where I am is literally where the second, the second strain of COVID developed. Um, it's called like the Kent strain or something, but literally in the town I'm in is where it started. So I just haven't gone to the doctors because I just don't want to risk catching COVID. But last week I had two quite severe attacks and the second one I sort of started to faint. And so I just, and they happened at night. So lots of no sleep <laughs> um, whilst I'm still running my course and my kind of breathing hasn't gotten back to normal um, and my my heart rate hasn't got back to normal either. So yeah, so kind of doing some investigations with health professionals around that and talking to doctors and things. But yeah, so this, that's why this is late because I haven't been feeling too well but this is just part of that healing process isn't it you know like sometimes you take one step forward two steps back two steps forward one step back and I'm thrilled that my bladder pain is doing so much better and interestingly enough it has crept back up in certain ways with this reaction so I am pretty sure that this is triggered by histamine and also completely missed this point probably didn't make any sense what I just said but histamine reactions can trigger an asthma attack basically and they can feel like a histamine reaction can also feel like an anxiety attack or an asthma attack so there are kind of three scenarios there of what could have been going on for me last week was it an anxiety attack triggered by histamine was it histamine attack that felt like an anxiety and an asthma attack or was it literally an asthma attack that felt like that, that was triggered by histamine. So, um, I mean, I'm certain it's all triggered by histamine because the connections are so strong between these conditions and also the symptoms are so, so correlated, but it all coincides with, they literally happened after I ate high histamine foods. So um, anyway, I just wasn't feeling great last week. I was struggling um, with my breathing. So recording wasn't wasn't a great option for me at the time. As I said, the SIBO treatment is is well on its way. I'm starting the elemental diet as my fourth round of treatment in about a week and a half. So I'm excited to see what that does. The IC is getting better. I've started visceral manipulation for my adhesions in a week and a half, which should help with my SIBO recovery and my pelvic floor. And I've started a pelvic floor online program because I've not been able to see my pelvic floor physio for over a year now. So um, everything is really going in the right direction, but histamine is still clearly a problem for me. And I'm hoping that once the SIBO has resolved and I can really kind of heal the rest of my gut after the SIBO has gone, that the histamine will calm down. So yeah, so anyway, that's just a little bit of an update really that I hope reassures you that sometimes just because something happens with your health, it doesn't mean that you're failing or you're not doing well you, or you, you know, you've gone back to square one because I absolutely haven't gone back to square one. This has given me more information that histamine is still an issue for me, but there are multiple things that are getting better. So yeah, I hope that kind of helps if you're struggling with certain flare ups or things at the moment. Anyway, this week's episode was is my conversation with Cindy Dabrowska from last week's Instagram live. 
Cindy Debraska is a registered dietitian and master of applied nutrition. You can find her on Instagram at endo.fertilitydietitian. And we took to Instagram to talk about constipation because it's something that Cindy addresses really early on in her work with her clients and that we both see with a lot of our clients. I see it from a SIBO perspective a lot of the time, pelvic floor dysfunction, adhesions, gut dysbiosis. And Cindy has lot, you know, has other experiences with it. So it's really interesting to have a discussion about the causes of constipation that we see with people with endometriosis and how that can affect endometriosis and how endo can affect our gut. So it was a really interesting discussion. I'm not going to do much of an intro to it here because I actually do that in the conversation itself. So I'm just going to let you get right to it and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is obviously, I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had and that I have with my clients all the time, but that we don't really talk about massively. Hi, hi, Cindy. Um, That we don't talk about massively on social media. I was, if you're comfortable with sharing, how many of you in this group suffer with constipation and endo? Hey, Cindy. Hi. Hey, Jess. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I look like I'm coming off really dark. Is it too dark on my end? No, not at all. It's no? dark where okay. I am because it's the evening, but um, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay, it's great. Fine. Cool. So thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to have this conversation. And I was just sharing before you joined that it's a conversation that I have a lot with my clients and I know it's a conversation you have a lot with your clients but there's not like a massive amount of talk about it like I feel like there is between our colleagues but not so much like on social media or generally in the community because like you know people just don't talk about constipation like they feel like it's an mm-hmm. embarrassing topic but it's so it's a symptom well it's not an official symptom of endo but it comes along with endo a lot um and it can you know cause lots of issues so I think it's about time that we had this conversation and yeah thank you for having it with me yeah likewise thanks so much it's always nice to chat about this with another professional who has a lot of exposure and a lot of experience. Um, I always learn so much too from others. So it's a great, I think it's a great gift to the endo community to be able to hop on a live like this and have this conversation. So it's yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, like I, I'd love to hear kind of basically your, just your whole take on constipation and endo, because I remember years ago, this is before I trained in SIBO. I think it was at the very beginning of my training as a women's health coach where um a friend who was really really knowledgeable on endometriosis she was actually like an endo yoga um, trainer a yoga coach teacher and her doctor said there's absolutely no way in any way shape or form that your constipation could be linked to endometriosis and I remember at the time this was like I don't know like maybe five years ago or something I was like it is like loads and loads of people, you know, struggle with it, but there's this disconnect um, between all of these, you know, there are loads of random symptoms that people get and they don't know why. So I'd love to really break that down with you today. And what really interested me when we first started talking is that constipation, like 
gut health is you know so essential to healing with endometriosis but addressing constipation is one of the first places you you go so um firstly i'd love you to introduce yourself and what you do and what you specialize in um and then maybe we can kind of jump into why constipation is important first and foremost to endo healing like why do we need to address it and then look into some of the root causes um but yeah i'd love you to start with letting us know who you are and what you do sure just thanks so i'm cindy hello to everybody who's joining um my handle on instagram is endo.fertility.dietitian um so basically I hope the gist is in my handle, but uh, I focus on supporting people with endometriosis um, with anything from, you know, fertility concerns to bloating to reducing pain, um, fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think what's unique, there's there's so many wonderful, you know, nutrition coaches and nutritionists. Um, and even other dietitians on uh, social media. I think uh, the way that I differentiate myself, I guess, from others is that I really don't think we have to restrict. I mean, we're already predisposed to disordered eating as people with endometriosis. Um, you know, we always we already struggle with so much. I mean, socially, emotionally, physically. So um, definitely, I do. Don't get me wrong. Like, I definitely think there is a place for removal of things like gluten, for example, if you're sensitive, or you know, dairy if you're lactose intolerant, or maybe you're sensitive to the A1 beta casein, um, or maybe it's that you're eating too much of it, right? So. That's what I would say, I guess, differentiates me from, from others. I mean, maybe there are others like me, I'm not sure. But um, I don't think that we necessarily need to restrict. It's all about, you know, getting in enough fiber, getting in enough variety, um, making sure we're optimizing that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. That's yes. when like... Oh my gosh, so important. <laughs> yeah. And that's when like, you know, people may see massive differences in their symptoms when they remove gluten or remove dairy um, or whatever it might be, right? Bread meat, um, because you're actually making significant changes to your omega-6 uh, to omega-3 ratio when you're cutting a lot of those foods that um, essentially are precursors for inflammatory fats. So anyway, that was probably a lot more than you expected, no, but I'm Cindy, endo dietitian, <laughs> uh, lovely to be here, huge fan of yours, Jess, and this is just awesome that we can get on here and chat today. Thank you. So let's, yeah, let's dive in with when it comes to healing with endometriosis, like why is addressing constipation one of those first places that you go to? Oh my gosh, I don't even know how to answer that question in a simple way. But I mean, the gut houses 80% of our immune system. And we know that there's this big immune system dysfunction piece with endometriosis. So if the gut's not right, we already know that in terms of the immune system, there's going to be some barriers, right? Like your immune system may be reacting, overreacting, or or potentially underreacting. We also know that the um, composition of the gut that tends to be the composition of the gut in people who have constipation tends to favor um, higher 
amounts of bacterial strains that increase beta-glucuronidase, right? That enzyme that reactivates deactivated estrogen, circles it back into the body. And then we know that there's this whole inflammatory estradiol piece in endometriosis as well, right? So not everybody, but a lot of people with endo do have higher amounts of estradiol and estriol, these inflammatory types of estrogen. So if at the level of your gut, we're not removing uh, estrogen that's been cleared through your liver, but rather it's being reactivated and circulated back into the body, we're fueling uh, that inflammation essentially, right? And then we know that the gut is also a big root contributor to inflammation as well. So, I mean, there's a lot more that can be said about it, but I think that's probably the gist. Is there anything that you would add, Jess? No, I mean, I'd love, like, in the simplest, like, of terms, like, I'd love to break down the kind of um, bacteria, the estrobilome, and for people who aren't familiar with how that connection of estrogen and um, bacteria, you know, they're not familiar about that. I think that could be really interesting to talk about quickly. Yeah, so um, we have, uh, in our gut, we have trillions, I mean, I don't know exactly what the number is, but just a ton of bacterial strains a ton of which like we still don't know very much about, right? We're, the, the research is ever expanding and growing in this space. Um, but we do know that there's sort of these two main categories, firmicutes and bacterioides. And we really would like them in the simplest of terms. We would like them to be in balance. When one is a little bit higher or one is a little bit lower, this can result in things like constipation or loose stools or severe bloating. Um, and I always tell my clients like, Digestion starts in the mouth and then, you know, as we travel down the body, it goes, yeah. you know, you guys all know what happens from there. Um, so the the bacteria, the composition of the gut can impact things further up or further down in the digestive tract, right? So I find a lot with my patients, like if you correct what's going on in the gut, rebalance the flora, you start seeing improvements in uh, stomach acid production and your ability to break down more complex foods and <clears throat> bloating and, um, you know, the list goes on. So it's all very much connected. And I have no idea if I answered that question. Yeah, no, that's so, no, it's super interesting. And it's so it's such a big topic it's and I'd, I'd actually love to when we talk about strategies I'd love to hear because um, it sounds like you with your clients you like to take an approach that you know is as not as like not overwhelming as possible and addressing gut health can be overwhelming yeah. so I'd love to kind of dive into that in a moment but before before we do clearly obviously like Bacterial imbalances can be an issue. Um, I see SIBO being a massive issue, pelvic mm -hmm. floor dysfunction and adhesions contributing to constipation. But what do you commonly see um, um, you know, in your training, what do you see as being some of the lead causes of constipation with endometriosis communities in particular? Yes. So, you know what, Jess? I think maybe you have uh, a, a bit more experience uh, than me with this, but so I don't know as like I continue to practice, I don't know if like the composition of the reasons why I see constipation in people is going to, you know, get a little bit more diverse. But honestly, I see 
the simplest things causing constipation in people with endo. I love that you not, I love not enough fiber, yeah. not enough movement, um, inconsistency in the eating. Um, what else do I see? Lack of hydration is huge. People underestimate how important it is to be drinking water and drinking enough water. Yeah, <laughs> um, rarely, rarely, rarely do I see adhesions being the only reason why somebody is constipated. That's not to say that it's not a contributor. It can absolutely be a contributor. I don't want to underestimate how impactful having adhesions on the bowel can be in terms of constipation and loose stools. But and then, and then SIBO is a big one too. But in yeah. most cases, it's low fiber, low hydration, low movement. Yeah. That's yeah. so, it's so interesting that you say that because I totally, totally agree with you that there are so many simple strategies that everyone, right? Everyone, doesn't matter if you've got a chronic disease or not, that we should be adding in as these healthy strategies that just support general well-being and and kind of just proper functioning of their body. And that is like chewing enough, you know, like mm. being in like a, a relaxed or calm state when we're eating or or using some kind of stress management techniques. Oh um, gosh, yeah. You know, all of those things that you said, and water is a huge one. I, I rarely have a client drinking enough water, sometimes sometimes maybe too much, like, you know, but, um, but I, I think, I don't know, my population tend to, have there's a lot of SIBO there so mm -hmm. I wonder if you do you have a point where you kind of go through with people like the simple strategies and then if they don't see a massive improvement would you then do kind of like a, a SIBO test or like do, does that make sense because I think that m many of my clients are most of them are already pretty good with their fiber, you know, like the, the chewing they, they see difference from mm -hmm. and, and things like that. But I feel like they've already tried a lot on their stomach and then they'll kind of, they come to me and they're quite desperate. So I'd love to mm -hmm. like, yeah, at what point for anyone who's listening and they're like, well, you know, okay, I'm going to try chewing. I'm going to drink more. I'm going to eat more fiber. Like when would you say like get a GI map or, you know, or test yeah. placebo? It's such a great question. You know, in the beginning of my practice, I was so quick to be like, do the GI stool, do it, it's awesome. But now I'm a little bit more conservative. I only really re recommend that my clients who have like really severe GI symptoms do the stool testing because over time I've realized how much of an impact like simply eating more fiber or hydrating um, yeah. can have on the, on the digestion. There are a couple things that I flag in terms of potentially being SIBO or something a bit more sinister. So for somebody who's got like just truly very painful, debilitating, persistent bloating and getting worse into the evening. Yeah. That's a big flag because it makes sense, right? It's this bacteria that's growing in the small intestine where it shouldn't be, right? And it's as you're eating your meals throughout the day, more and more of that food is making its way to the, through the small intestine. And so there's more and more for the bacteria that there to ferment, right? Yeah. So it's a very, very uh, big red flag in terms of potentially being SIBO. For people who have really low stomach acid, and I do both the, the really quick at-home quarter of a teaspoon of baking soda and four ounces of water, I've also done the bedding HCL tablet yeah, challenge. that's the one I use. 
Yes. If you have low stomach acid, there is definitely something growing or brewing, right? Because it's so important to have healthy stomach acid. It's the first line of defense. If you're not producing enough stomach acid, bacteria and pathogens on the surfaces of your food, they can make their way into your small intestine and other parts of of your digestive tract, settle there, and then, you know, game over. So, that's a big one too, if the stomach acid is affected. Um, and then of course, there's a ton, of, a, a long list of things that impact stomach acid. We won't get into that unless you want to, um, but there's that. And then um, if probiotics make symptoms worse, it's typically a big flag, right? Not always though, I've been learning more and more, not always. Um, so if somebody's like, oh, definitely I was taking a probiotics and I, and I do have a couple of, of, of uh, client examples where that was the case, like they were having loose stools and then we came off the probiotic and it helped quite a bit, right? Because the, the bacteria, uh, the, the composition of the bacteria that makes up the overgrowth in SIBO, it's, it's usually the, the healthy strains, yeah. like the, the commensal strains, yeah. right? So, um, and those are the same ones that we would find in probiotics. So it makes sense that they would intensify symptoms. And another, um, the last sort of big one, I guess I'll comment on is like, uh, feeling full really quickly and like pressure in the stomach. That's a big one too, that I see with SIBO. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start, and they really focus on menstrual well-being, and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, The Sleep Pillow Mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, So if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And I mean, obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. If you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, If you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. Yeah. 
yeah yeah and I feel like low stomach acid as well like feeling like a quite high up feeling that sense of fullness like food's yes. not really moving down um so absolutely totally agree with you and when you let's like go in I mean you've mentioned a few of them already but what strategies for anyone who wants to try and counteract this constipation on their own um where would you say for them to start with like first kind of line strategies yeah so always being conservative with first line therapy so making sure you're getting that 30 to 35 grams of fiber in every day um, making sure you're moving your body and hydrating well people always ask like how much water should i drink i always just say look to your urine so you want like lightly colored pale yellow urine if it's any darker than that you need to be hydrating a bit more because everybody's needs are going to be a bit different so hydration movement fiber then there are specific tailored probiotic strains i'll use like for example BioGaia. Um, i really like that the chew tabs that one's evidence-based for constipation and i really like activia yogurt US, that one i don't know like i know it's accessible here in canada and the states um i'm not sure if it's available elsewhere it's a pretty big brand so okay. i would think it's available but i don't know for sure you'd have to circle back and let me know <laughs> yeah okay yeah definitely um so i use that one and then i really like activia um, activia has that uh, bacterial strain uh, that's evidence-based for constipation so i found that that's been helpful for my clients who do consume dairy um, and there's also a plant-based version too so I like those. That's a nice functional food I use. And then beyond that, um, in most of my scenarios with clients, that has been enough to support uh, regular bowel movements. I also really like to use motility agents because if you're constipated, you have a problem with motility yeah. um, with how quickly you know food is moving through you. So I like things like melatonin, ginger. Um, what else is there? melatonin ginger um do you use magnesium much yeah magnesium citrate right i don't yeah. use it that much for motility but that is a really good one yeah yeah um and so you're using oh. kind of prokinetics in with, yes yeah yes okay. artichoke is a good one too um so yeah that's that's i don't yeah i think that's pretty much and then for people, and then I've also had to use, I really like, um, typically I'll only do this with people who've done GI map. So I know sort of the composition of their flora, um, but I love sun fiber. So partially hydrolyzed guar gum mm -hmm. for nourishing the, the um, commensal bacteria. Yeah. Um, but of course you wouldn't want to do something like that with somebody with SIBO because then you're potentially nourishing the, the overgrowth, yeah. right? So I typically concert, like I, I keep that one for people who've actually done the testing with me. So we have a good idea of what's going on in the gut. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you do anything different? Or um, anything? I mean, we all, I always bring in first line therapies. So that's kind of the first, the first step. And at that point, it's really about testing things out. So like, let's see if, you know, do prebiotic and probiotic foods aggravate you or do they help? Because sometimes if, you know, if someone has SIBO, they might still respond like reasonably well, they can be helpful. So like, you know, yeah. with probiotic um, supplements, for example, people 
um some people respond well to them some people don't so kind of like see how someone's response is um and then I do you know a period of time four weeks kind of 28 21 to 28 days where we remove some of the basic inflammatory triggers to allow the gut to heal then if they have the budget we might bring in some kind of like um supplements that are going to calm down the gut right and what I try to do mm. in the beginning is utilize the ones that are also going to kind of target the endo and general inflammation so like fish oil and curcumin if they've got a histamine issue which a lot of my clients do um then kind of high dose quercetin because they're all going to help with leaky gut inflammation but also the other issues that are going on in the body with endo but then if you know we have if we do a gi map and they have SIBO like at some point in their recovery then i might look at l-glutamine or you know zinc carnosine but that's more expensive and i try not to do that unless it's otherwise it's just a lot it's a lot of supplements mm-hmm. um yeah. but with the if someone comes back and has like a positive SIBO test then that is a much longer <laughs> a much mm-hmm. longer journey and that then depends on what they want what route they want to go down you know some people want to go down the antimicrobial route some people want to go down the elemental um if they're going to go down antibiotics then they get you know I refer them to a doctor and I can support them with that um but the standard before you know before we reach that point of SIBO it's like the basic like movement stress management taking a deep breath before eating so like the you know we move into the rest and digest system chewing well you know all of that and then adding in some very simple like let's see how do you respond to probiotics prebiotics like how do you respond to more fiber because some people fiber makes the constipation worse and that's pretty that's a pretty good sign right that like okay there's probably some SIBO going on or something going on here um so I do find that a lot of maybe it's just because I'm specialized in SIBO that I now have like most people come to me and they end up having SIBO when we test but then also the community you know we know from the research so far that it is such a high a high case of people with you know SIBO and endo so um so how long do you does it it will vary from individual to individual of course but for anyone who's listening, I think that people can put changes in place and get really, you know, they might get frustrated after a week, like nothing's changed, nothing's happening. You know, how long do you kind of expect these strategies to, you know, to start working for them? Yeah. So you know what? I get this a lot from my from my clients where we'll start a protocol and it'll be like two, three weeks in. I'm like, no, still constipated. And I'm just like, oh no. But I've been learning that it just takes time. Typically at the four week mark, um, I've had a couple of uh clients that I've done the SIBO breath tests um with that were positive and you know. SIBO is so tricky. So it's wonderful that there's somebody like you who's in the space, you know, really focused on on supporting people with SIBO because, you know, it you have to address the underlying cause as to why it's happening like is it low stomach acid is it stress you know is it is it the adhesions like we have to address that otherwise the SIBO will come back it's there it's there it got there in the first place for some reason right so um I have found that you know I've had some people who you know we did testing we retested it kind of went away but then symptoms returned right so it's Mm -hmm. so important to really address that 
um, that root cause. Now, where was I going with this? Yeah, so for so typically about four to six weeks, I say the protocols last. Um, and from my experience at that point, I, I almost always, I want to say almost always see uh, improvements in the symptoms at that point. But I am very conscious to be like, be patient, wait, it takes time, your gut health doesn't change overnight. Like we're trying to modify this like massive collection of bacteria like it takes a little bit of time too right so I'm not sure if I answered that question no absolutely I think it's so (laughs) helpful and it's exactly the same with SIBO for anyone who's like going down that journey it takes time and I think this is why it's so important that you do do those first line strategies first so that you you experience some level of recovery so obviously for you know some people it might be a complete alleviation of constipation for some people they start to go more frequently but and so we we get you to a point where you're feeling you know stronger and your symptoms are less severe and then you might you have a bit more motivation to go down that SIBO journey because that SIBO journey can be very long and you know I'm I'm always very careful to manage people's expectations that like this can take a really long time to treat it doesn't mean it's not working it just generally full stop takes a long time to treat so you know and then we have to do the like the root cause investigation and the healing so I think it's so important to give people especially if, if like you guys are listening at home and you want to try these strategies at home then it's really important that we let people know like don't give up give these things like a good amount of oh time God. you know yes. Um, yes. what about do you use digestive enzymes what you, what's your opinion on digestive enzymes I do I use them because and actually I've I, I there is a I'm so there's a post coming up on my page about this it's probably one of the main contributors to bloating I see a low pancreatic elastase yeah I am so interested if there's any research out there connecting endometriosis with low pancreatic elastase or, or low pancreatic, um, like poor pancreatic function, um, because I just see it far too often. And yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably related to that chronic inflammation and then just all the organs really having to just, you know, put out so much more uh you know, so much more in terms of their function that maybe it gets to a point with endometriosis that the pancreas just kind of gives in and then stops being able to produce these these enzymes, right? The amylase, lipase, and protease that break down these macronutrients. Um, I do use them, but I'm cautious with my use. So if I have somebody who's done the stool testing with me and their um, pancreatic elastase is in the 200s, for sure, right? Like, mm-hmm. No question about it. But I'm also thinking in the back of my mind, like, how are we going to modify the the gut microbiome so that the pancreatic elastase can increase on its own, right? Because when we think about the reasons for low pancreatic um, output, it's like gallstones, acute you know, infection, a low stomach acid. So these are things, you know, we can modify with time. So, um, because with digestive enzymes, you have to take one with every meal. So, and I'm I'm like the queen of convenience. So I'm always thinking about ways to like simplify things for people. And I know for me, if I had to take something with every meal, I'd probably forget half the time. And then, you know, so, but it's essential. Like when you, when you have low pancreatic output, you need to be taking these enzymes. Otherwise you're going to get bloated. You may results, um, you may get loose stools or constipation or tummy troubles. So I do use them. I think they're great. I think they're great and needed, very needed in our population. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how it would affect like the pancreas, but certainly with SIBO, like um, the SIBO bacteria eat our digestive enzymes because they're made up of proteins, so they break them down. So mm. it's really, really common to have low digestive enzymes with SIBO. That's like a kind of classic sign. And that was one of when I got tested um, on GI map, my, my enzymes were low. Um, and I mean, there was just so many pointers. I, I knew it already. I, I, I suspect it already. So, um, but I wonder like how quickly, I'll have to, I'll, I'll ask Dr. Seebeck in our next call and just see what she says. Like, I wonder how quickly it happens. Like, is it like, you know, the pancreas releases our digestive enzymes and then the SIBO's like, great, I'm just gonna munch on that. And then yeah. the SIBO's active as soon as we start eating, the SIBO's active, right? It's eating our food. So. Could it be potentially like, you know, destroying our digestive enzymes and breaking them apart and eating them at the same time? So um, yeah. not the protein, sorry, the, they're made up of protein and carbohydrates, so they break them up. The bacteria breaks up the digestive enzymes to take the carbohydrate. So um, I don't know how quickly that process happens, but it's certainly like, it, you know, if I see digestive enzymes, that's what that's my kind of first port of call but that's because that's always in my head um <laughs> so like you know SIBO's always in my head with that um and yeah I just find it interesting because if someone can't afford digestive enzymes then we'll use like herbs and spices that can stimulate production but obviously that's not always strong it's not always strong enough um yeah. but I've seen like a couple of articles like by Harvard more opinion articles right not like studies where doctors are like oh you know digestive enzymes are a waste of money but I don't see them as a waste of money I see mm -hmm. like they really help for our populations so I'm I'm just interested that you see it too and do you find that they're helpful for if someone's constipated do you find that digestive enzymes are helpful there I do absolutely um if we're not producing enough of these enzymes that break down our macronutrients, <clears throat> then some of that food is is moving into the into the bowels undigested. It's fermenting. Um, depending on what the food is that we're eating, we know that certain foods, like pr more protein rich diets, feed these protein digesting bacteria. These are the ones that produce the the toxins, right? That can contribute further to constipation. So um, that's my short answer to that yeah. sort of comment slash question. I mean, absolutely. Um, if you're not somebody who's in a position to invest in the GI map because it is a very yes. pricey prep, I have to admit, yeah. you could trial them. Potentially. I mean, I've never done that with anybody. I've only ever used them with people who've done the testing, but, um, you know, typically trialing one thing at a time, if you see improvements, that's a pretty good sign it's doing something for you. But you always have to have like a solid foundation in nutrition, right? So regular structured meals and more than four to five hours apart, um, lots of fiber, lots of hydration movement. Um, and then if that doesn't help, I'd start maybe experimenting with some of these probiotic strains, digestive enzymes, you know, um, stomach acid support, motility agents and that sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We've got, I know we need to wrap up because of time, but we've got one question 
well, someone's asked, like, can you just quickly explain what this has to do with endo because they got on here late? And maybe if we just recap that question, that might be quite nice way to to wrap up, like how constipation impacts endo or, and vice versa, how they're related. Sure. Um, so I started to explain in the beginning that uh, there's a couple of things. So the bulk of our immune system is located in the gut. And we know that there's this big association between immune system dysfunction and endometriosis. So if the gut is not in check, this can further kind of contribute to that immune system dysfunction, result in, you know, immune reaction. Um, I like to think of it when I think of symptoms that I used to get when my immune system was all crazy, like I'd burn up. My body would like, within a matter of like five, 10 minutes, my body would like burn up. I'd turn white as a ghost, then I would freeze. And it was just like, wow. like vomiting, diarrhea all at the same time, like this complete loss of control over the body, right? This has everything to do with the immune reaction. Um, so there's that. We also know that the the flora, the makeup of the flora in the gut um, that is common with people who have endometriosis favors the production of uh, beta-glucuronidase. So this is this enzyme that reactivates uh, deactivated estrogen, circulates it back into the body. And we know that estrogen also is a root uh, contributor of, of inflammation in endometriosis. So that's another sort of connection between gut health and endometriosis. And the one thing we didn't touch on just in the beginning yeah. was, you know, we're actually... So all these things considered, we didn't talk about the fact that we are so predisposed as people with endometriosis to things like constipation and loose stools and low stomach acid and SIBO because of the fact that we deal with this chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation impacts digestion, right? It shuttles blood flow away from digestion to fuel the stress response. Um, you know, it affects sleep, which then in turn affects our hunger and satiety hormones, right? kind of forcing us in a way to not make the best food choices. And that in turn can impact, you know, the gut microbiome and how we're digesting our food. Um, you know, so many other reasons, so many, I get overwhelmed sometimes with, with these thought processes, just if you want to jump in and add something, because there's a ton more, I'm sure. No, it's, it's so true. And we should definitely pick this conversation up, like in, you know, in, in another chat or another uh, podcast interview, because there's so much to it. And I think that is, that's kind of the point, right? Why you why we start with more simple strategies and build, and why it's important to emphasize about pacing. Like with at the moment, um, my my kind of course members are doing their course, and there's a lot to learn. But the whole way through, I'm like, yes, there's a lot to learn, but this isn't about implementing it straight away. You take it step by step by step. Absolutely. So yeah, um, and respond to what you know if something feels good you know you respond to that that's a that's a good sign keep moving in that direction um so there there is a lot to it but usually when you start addressing something like su such a broad topic as like inflammation everything generally starts to improve and then addressing something else starts to get easier right i think like for me that's where i start like the first couple of weeks we're looking at inflammation blood sugar you know and then gut health in like the the kind of third and fourth week so it's I definitely agree like that inflammation piece is is huge and that often starts to make things feel a lot easier because st everything starts to calm down um so Cindy thank you so much for anyone who wants to learn more or wants to reach out to you how can they get in touch 
So you can find me on Instagram, endo.fertility.dietitian. Um, there is a link in my bio to my website. My email is cindy at endometriosisdietitian.ca. Feel free to send me DMs. I get them all the time. Love interacting with our community. And this has been so interesting to watch. Thank you. You're welcome. Sorry, I got distracted there. Um, that's, that's the gist, Jess. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you today. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing all of this. It's been so, so interesting. And I'm just, yeah, I'm so glad that we've had this conversation and and that we're chatting about constipation because not enough people yes. are. And I know that so many people are struggling with it with endo. So I'm really glad that yeah. it's something that you address so much in your work. And thank you for sharing with us. Likewise. Thank you as well. All right. Take care. Till next time, I guess. <laughs> Anyone who wants to rewatch this is going to go onto my Instagram um, TV. So you guys can rewatch this. Take notes. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much. And take care. Thanks. Bye, Jess. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.